Hey friends, Ashton here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True and Beautiful. I have been just a little giddy all day long. Uh, a couple buddies and I have been talking about the guest that we have joining us today. Second time around, um, sometimes I kind of pinch myself that like people that come on this podcast, we like text each other. and We've become friends over the years and the older I get, the more my heroes are those that have taught me how to see. And I, I cannot help but give uh, a more honorable bio to the individual that's joining us, to us, joining us today, uh, Chris Dombrowski from Missoula, Montana. He's got a new book that's in the world, and his gift to me is that he has taught me how to see, how to see with intentionality, how to peel the eyes of wonder and awe and beauty in my life. And so for that, I am forever grateful. And I can't believe that he and I are friends, so I can truly say that. So with that being said, uh, I'm super grateful to join back on the show today, Brother Chris Dombrowski. Chris, welcome back. Thanks, Ashton. So great to be with you. Yeah, I mean, we I feel like we've been texting a lot over the last couple of years, mostly about... Um, it seems to revolve around music, does it not? Like, <laughs> there's you, a little bit of that. There's, album? yeah, there's some, there's some. Have you heard this Bonavere track? There's, a, have you crossed paths with this Rumi poem? Uh, you never know what you and yes, I are passing yes. back and forth. Um, yeah, but uh, speaking of Rumi, yes. Um, you know what? Um, did I tell you this? That um, do you know the musician Sufjan Stevens? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so. We went to college together. Really? And we did. And I don't know that I've ever told anyone this story. Um, I was huge into Rumi back in college. Loved him. The Coleman Barks translations. Totally. They had just they first came out um through that um that Bill Moyers series. The um oh man, was it the language of love? I can't remember what, mm -hmm. but he had, you know, um he'd been to the Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival and had recorded all of these amazing poets for everyone from Quincy Troop to, you know, um, to, to, um, oh goodness. Um, well to, to Barks reading those Rumi, yep. um, versions. And, um, anyway, I was crazy into Rumi and, uh, Sufjan was, a, he was a brilliant poet and fiction writer too, but he was also a musician and he, um, and his buddy, Jamie Kempkers, they would play, um, play music, wow. um, and then I would read these Rumi poems and we, we would, we did it for maybe like, um, I don't know, three or four times. And, um, I think we, we, we had a crowd one time we had, a, I mean, if, if, uh, if 10 is a crowd, we had a crowd. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, I just hung out with Sufjan Stevens. We did a few shows. I did some Rumi readings. That was, that was just kind of what I did. Unreal. Amazing. Yeah, that was, it was amazing. I mean, um, we were at this tiny little college in Michigan and, um, I mean, to look back at that and think of the career that he's had as a musician is just, uh, mind boggling, you know, um, he was, a, he was such a determined artist, like from even back then, I remember just like an in, in, intense focus and direction, um, and really like kind of relentless exploratory um, vein. Um, so it's not, it's really no surprise. You know, some people you look, look at who have success in the world and you go, Oh, I never would have guessed that or whatever, but I don't think everyone who took a class 
with Sufjan back in those days. Um, you knew he was up to something. You knew he was up to something, whether he was going to publish a Pulitzer Prize winning novel or whether he was going to make amazing music. Uh, everyone knew for sure. <laughs> Incredible. Wow. What a story. Um, so I want to set the stage here a bit. It's been a while. I think it's been a couple of years since we had you on. Um, yeah. And uh, I was introduced to your work from a friend at the CAC. You and I were chatting about that before. Uh, and and really, uh, Body of Water, oh my gosh, I have no language for that. Um, and then this new one, The River You Touch, we're going to get there. Um, but when, when you kind of introduce yourself in your work in the world, where do you begin? You wear a lot of hats, and mm. and but I think when it comes to integration uh, and wholehearted living, um, no one's doing it better than you from my viewpoint down here in, in Waco, Texas. So when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? That's a good question. I mean, um, a lot of the times now I take the easy, um, the easy path, you know, uh, some will say, what do you do? I'll say, I, I teach writing at creative writing at the university of Montana, you know, um, because that usually gets them to stop asking questions, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas if I say, you know, um, I'm a writer, um, uh, well, I'm a father first and a, and a spouse and a writer and um, a teacher and a fishing guide. And I um, I'm an editor and all these things. Then people just um, they get to asking question after question after question. Um, despite the fact that I'm here on a, on the podcast with you, um, I don't really love talking about myself. I know my wife would think that's complete complete and utter bs but um uh yeah i would rather deflect that question so um yeah i mean right now i feel like i could draw a pretty good if i were to draw a pie graph of my myself as a um as a person it would be um primarily a father and a and a you know a spouse at this time with maybe a little like 15 to 17 percent um, fraction of that pie as writer. Most of what I've been doing as a writer this fall has been touring with this book, you know, um, yep. and, and, um, and then teaching um, and um, and then working on some editorial projects as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't really feel like a writer until hmm. um, until the winter every year. And then it just like forces me inside and I, I look like I'm sitting at my desk right now where I've sat every day for the past, you know, several months. But only now is this stack of notes that I wrote from um, I wrote a year ago, like staring at me saying, make something out of us, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, but it's interesting. Um, I think part of the process um, part of the journey of this book, The River You Touch, is the narrator, me, um, kind of coming to terms with that um, that manyness, right, um, mm -hmm. in in his life, and um, um, I think early on in my life, those quote unquote divisions were something that really frustrated me. Mm -hmm. Like I, I couldn't tell was i a teacher 
Was I um, a fishing guide? Was I a writer? And then I came to understand I was all of those things, you know, like anything, anything that we try to separate from another thing. Um, I mean, separateness is an illusion in that sense. Right. Um, and so in many ways, um, the one of the journeys in the book, uh, uh, not even a tertiary journey, but a, a real like kind of third or fourth level journey is the one that the narrator goes on and understands like there's a certain a, a certain oneness to his uh all yeah. of those aspects of his life right the undivided life yeah man yeah, yeah. we it, look at even look at your instagram feed um with all those little boxes and things it's it's just insisting to you that uh, all these things are separate right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they're not yeah the camp um it's an illusion yeah 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 it reminds me of merton and everything there's a hidden wholeness um mm -hmm. the uh i also think you lose the need for that affirmation as you get older right like what are you that almost right. it becomes less and less interesting of a question right like i yeah no i know i've i've often um tried to make a practice out of um, I, I always fail at it, but especially at the holidays when you're going around shaking all these different hands and stuff, instead of asking people like, what do you do? Um, I often say like, what, what do you love to do when you're not at work? You know, cause I think it gets people to, um, to perk up a little bit and say like, oh, you know, um, I'm a, um, I'm a closet geologist or, um, you know, um, I um I braid hair for a living. I don't, I don't know. I mean, whatever it is, like it's something other than um because there's career and vocation, right? They're often very different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Totally. Um so the river you touch. Um I I was telling a buddy of mine today before this call, I was like this is a very this this feels this feels so sacred from from what from how you put it into the world that it almost it almost feels like I don't know how many questions that I want to ask about it a because it's sacred and I think the words do their own thing for the reader uh, this isn't like a nonfiction book where I go let's talk about point number three here um, there's way more mysterious, whimsy, alchemy kind of woven throughout this book. But my, my, my first question I have is, a, is, is one of uh, practicality uh, as you approach this from the craft of being a writer. Um, mm -hmm. The prose that you create are nothing short of magical. Um, I am crazy curious as to how you pay attention, how you... Um, catalog everything that you take in. I mean, I, I was either telling, I think I was telling my wife I was, as I was reading this, I was like, he doesn't miss anything. Like, and you don't say this in the book, but I go, he could tell you what that doorknob feels like. Now you've walked out of that door a hundred times in the last hundred days, but you don't necessarily remember the touch of that doorknob. But this guy, the way he takes in the world, he does. So forgive the broadness of this question. It's super wide and deep and maybe hard to answer, but like, 
at what age were you keenly aware to everything mm-hmm. that was happening around you? And as you've grown older, has the volume on that even turned up? Well, two things I would say. I mean, that's a, I take that as just a supreme compliment about the book, and I'm grateful for it. Um, two, I aspired to it in the prose in this book because I felt like one of, you know, the primary journeys of the book is coming to see our children as like guides toward wonder, toward attention, toward, you know, um, presence. And I thought if that's the goal, then the sentences have to somehow mimic that or point to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, but as a young, I mean, I always was, I think OCD probably, you know, um, in terms of like the way I paid attention to detail or, um, um, I was an only child. And so I was very, um, I spent a lot of time in my head. I still probably (laughs) did too much, you know, um, but the, um, you know, the goal, I think, in attention, um, I forget who called attention the natural prayer of the soul, but, um, you know, the goal in attention is to awaken oneself to the the world of 10,000 things, right? Um, the um, To awaken one's small S self to the, to the big S self. And so in that sense, you know, it's a practice. Um, and the act of writing, I think, um, is a beautiful extension of that practice because, um, you know, the more you, the more you pay attention to the world, um, the more you feel obligated to make your sentences reflect that level of attention, right? That specificity, that exactness. And then, that in turn, I think, makes you, you know, more aware. Um, and so in that sense, I mean, um, it's a reciprocal process for sure. I also I like this idea that um, um, Jim Harrison threw out at one point. He may have been borrowing from another philosopher, but he said, um, I'm often reminded when I'm watching birds that reality is the aggregate of all perceptions, not just our human ones. Hmm. Uh, and good. so, yeah, I really, I tried in this narrative anyway, to um, um, give the, the natural world, if you will, creatures, rivers, trees, sky, weather, whatever, like to give it, as much voice as possible so as to reflect that reality you know um uh reality is not um <laughs> like reduced to my um my limited perceptions you know it's the aggregate of all, all perceptions and and thank god it is right yep. Um, yep. yep no well said i and and you do you you experience reality in a there, there's, there's not so much subject object. There's a lot of subject subject, a lot of I thou. It's not specifically in the prose, but like that is your consciousness that you bring forth and and awaken the reader to. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, there was another interview I came across of yours where either you or the person interviewing you said, use this phrase, absorbing your surroundings on the move. And she was kind of mm-hmm. pointing back to um, mm-hmm. you being on a river all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can't help but think you're studying weather, sun, water temp, water color, uh, you got a run here, a pool here, a gully there, you've an eddy there, a branch there. It 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 makes you that's a muscle that you get to use a whole lot. And when you step off the river, it's not like that muscle stops. I can't help but think that that you don't take a lot of that there and lay it over into your life. Right. No, you're right. You just you become a kind of a um being an oarsman a guide, it, it turns you into a supercomputer, right? I mean, you're just like, um, it, I'm certainly not a supercomputer when it comes to like computing our own family budget or anything like that. But um, yeah, in terms of attention, you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, the river's moving at this pace. The fly's moving at that place. We have three seconds before I have to tell that guy in the front, pick it up or he's going to snag that branch that's over in the water that he doesn't see, but I know is hanging out there because you know, we, we passed it two days ago and we lost a bug on it. Like all that stuff is, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's fantastic to, um, to then turn that same level of attention, um, back on to the natural world or, or to the word. Um, I think the only time I don't have it, I know this is true is, um, if, I, if I'm, if I'm on my, if I'm on my screen, you know, um, I'm on my phone. If I'm on my, you know, um, my iPad, I think that's, that's just recipe for shutdown. You know, um, I read something, I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh said, um, when you, if you watch a movie, if you watch TV for an hour, your, your cell, the cells in your body essentially are tricked into believing that you've been dead for an hour. Wow. Yeah. Um, Find out mind blowing. I'd have to look at the, yeah. the you know science on that, but I kind of be- I believe it. You know, mm-hmm. the practice of awareness, though. I, I think that's what we're getting at. Is yeah. is yeah. staying awake, keeping it lit, um, um, mm-hmm. just knowing that. Uh, and, and the phrase that I like to use often is "smaller your world, bigger your life." Like 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 the degree to which you can fall in love with the smallest of nooks and crannies of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's liberating. It's uh, uh, the, the whole thing becomes enchanted, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, um, it becomes like, uh, what's the word like emanation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. um, yep. Um, yeah, I think, um, maybe it was Eckhart said like, the more empty I become of myself, the more I become a vessel for the absolute, you know? Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Someone who read this book early on, um, my buddy, John Larison, who wrote a novel called whiskey when we're dry. Um, he said to me, cause there's, you know, about two thirds of the way through the book, there's a pretty, um, dark passage through which the narrator, um, has to navigate. And, um, Larison said, I'm glad ultimately that, um, 
the voices of the natural world won out over the voices in your head, wow. you know? Um, and I think that's, mm. that's what you were saying. That's what you're pointing to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Brother, son, sister, moon, letting you know it's going to be okay. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. there's one part in the book where I, I think it was towards the end and it was, uh, I'm, I'm going to fumble through this, but it was like, we are an extension of earth. Earth is an extension of us. Um, a mysterious sentence, but it struck me as so true. I was like, oh, I have felt that a million times, but I've never navigated it verbally like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's what you're getting to, right? It's just that it's a, it's a homecoming, if you will. Um, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really, that. I think that might even be like the last sentence of the book. Um, yeah, maybe it's the, yeah. the last sentence I remember reading of the book. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Um, in a sense, like it is a homecoming, you know, um, um, let me see if I can find, yeah, we are matter and long to be received by the earth that conceived us. Is that the one you were yeah, thinking yeah, of? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which accepts and reconstitutes us. It's children, each of us without exception, everyone, the journey is long. And then we start homeward fathomless as to home to what home might make of us um yeah it is a homecoming right um and we're only we're only like homesick if you will when um we're believing in the illusion that we're foreigners bingo yeah Yeah, bingo that's it no that's i was just like there it is yes the second and that's a, maybe there's some fear in that. There's there's scarcity in that. There's all sorts of things that I think lead us to that place where it feels foreign. But really, the, this the river you touch is about finding that home base right where your feet are. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I wanted this book. Um, it's funny. One of the the best compliments that a reviewer has paid this book so far. Um, uh, was from a New York magazine uh, called Bomb Magazine. And she said, her name's Yvonne Kanza. Uh, she's a brilliant writer. She said, um, this book torches the narrative of the macho man. Like, mm-hmm. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Bingo, exactly. Be- because, um, because, you know, through a sense of vulnerability, the narrator um, begins to believe in the healing possibilities of community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, so, um, I mean, God, where was I going with that? Yeah. Um, the sense of. Um, not belonging to something is. Really kind of a result of believing in the in the what the ego is telling us right separate um, the separate self yeah 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 yeah. It's, in, yeah it's it's crazy i mean yeah it's, I, it's um, that two it's it's dualistic consciousness right mm-hmm. right i yep. and one are the same um mm. it's knowing that yes you may be in the river but the river is always headed towards the ocean right exactly and i i i became i remember the moment i remember this moment um 
I was probably a high, I was a college freshman and I went to visit, um, um, a girlfriend of mine in Northern Michigan. And I was looking at this river. It was the Boardman river. It was in October, beautiful fall day. And the river was flowing by at a seemingly like, um, you know, steady pace. And then this, like what I would call a river trick now, um, like this little hydraulic just bounced up from the bottom and made a swirl on the top and, and then, and then kept going. And I remember thinking to myself, what upstream instance caused that, you know, that thing to happen. And it was, I think it was at that moment that I started thinking about the wholeness of a river. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, which is different than, um, the way we think about it as a, as a fishing guide, like as a fishing guide, we say, okay, I'm going to float from point A to point B. I'm going to float from, um, yeah, from river junction to rust gates today, shuttle guy call, uh, make sure my truck is there, please. You know, here's 50 bucks or however much it costs. Um, but really that there is, that's not the way rivers exist, right? They are one, one entity from, the headwaters to the mouth. And um, so I started thinking about that in relation to time Um, and how um, we think of it horizontally. Yeah. 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 But that's, there's actually, there's actually this vertical, you know, top to bottom dimension. Yeah. Saying that's where the title came from, um, which I didn't have for a long time. And then I stumbled on this Da Vinci quote, which is, in rivers, the water that you touch is the last of what has passed and the first of that, which is to come. So with present time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, okay, that is now we're getting at something because um, when we truly touch something, like when we touch a river and we become fully aware of it, of our oneness with it, um, we do stand in a way like out of horizontal time, right? Yeah. We um, we're absolved of it because um, time, horizontal time passing means something begins and then something ends, which we know is an illusion. Um, and so um, I began to kind of contemplate that, and 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 I tried anyway in the narrative to. Um, to play with time, you know, most of the narrative transpires in what I would call like the reflective present tense, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. it's in the present tense, but there are plenty of times where um, the narrator like slips out of that immersive present tense and says like, you know, three years from now I would blah, 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 blah. Um, and that was my way of kind of um, forcing time's hand, if you will, mm-hmm. like saying, even though we often tell stories this way, that doesn't mean that time necessarily behaves that way. Totally, totally. Now, and you, I mean, one of the sentences, and I wrote this one down, that that shook me was, a true child is the opposite of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's almost emotional to even read the sentence. A true child is the opposite of time, which is almost a place of no time. It, 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 mm-hmm. it's it's there is no future there is no past there's just this here this now 
this moment at hand, the sacrament mm-hmm. of the present moment, as some have taught it. Um, maybe that is. Maybe maybe there's where we're going with this book. Is it's it's a book about time and actually what it's not and the mystery of what it is. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for this poem of, of Jim Harrison's. Um, yeah, on my. Um, okay, I'm going to read this. This was from his book, um, In Search of Small Gods, which was a totally. Um, it was a cosmological event for me when I read this book. <laughs> it absolutely blew, blew my mind. Give me, hold on, um, give me the name of it again. It's called River Six, like the number six. Okay. Um, and it's from a series of river poems. Um, and if you, if you, I don't know if you can Google it, but I'll send it to you. Um, I'll, I'm going to read it because it, it goes right along with what we're talking about. I thought years ago that old Heraclitus was wrong. You can't step into the same river even once. The water slips around your foot like liquid time and you can't dry it off after its passage. Don't bother taking your watch to the river. The moving water is a glorious second hand. Properly understood, the memory loses nothing and we humans are never allowed to let our minds sit on the still bank and have a simple picnic. I had an unimaginable dream when young of being a river horse that could easily plunge upstream. Perhaps it came from our huge black mare June, whom I rode bareback as she swam in the lake in big circles, always getting out where she got in. Meanwhile, this river is surrounded by mountains covered with lodgepole pines that are mortally diseased, browning in the summer sun. Everyone knows that lightning will strike and Montana burn. We all stay quiet about it, this blessed oxygen that makes the world a crematory. Only the water is safe. Um, so, but I was wow. struck by, yeah, that um, that line about the I had second hand. Well, that, and then I had an unimaginable dream when young because it's um, it kind of goes hand in hand with that um, a true child is the opposite of time. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, like I had an unimaginable dream when young that I could easily plunge upstream, <laughs> right? The plunge upstream is, um, you know, um, to go to, to be um, not bound by time. Outside right? of time. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, then he says that last line. I mean, this was classic Jim. He's so um, he's so playful, so offhanded that you you forget he's dealing with like the weightiest of subjects, <laughs> the big, um, big questions, the big, big questions, but, you know, so he, he's basically like, um, here we are. These, these pines are diseased. Lightning's going to strike. And th- and that the friggin' oxygen that keeps us alive is going to burn us to death. Right. Yeah. Um, only the water is safe. Only the water, which becomes that, um, that emblem of, um, limitless time right yeah, totally oh man so good so good um so another thing i wanted to chat about was um your process of like revisiting years and years of these journal entries um 
and, and repackaging them to bring those moments back to life for you, for you to like revisit those. Um, do the details, are they recorded in the journal or do they, do they come back to you? Do you have some bullet points of like, there was this moment with Luca when he was young and here's what was happening. And then you just kind of go back and really allow it to shimmer again. Or, or are you as nitty gritty in the journal, you know, out of the get go? No, the journals are very much like um, just kernels or images or um, river teeth is the term um, David James Duncan would use. Yeah, I love um, that river teeth. Yeah, um, but no. So then I, you know, I I began this book um, as initially as a book of essays, but when I got to the finishing stages of body of water. Um, I really fell in love with long form nonfiction, hmm. um, particularly that stage in the bookmaking process where everything starts to cohere and all those like disparate threads begin to braid. Um, and so I thought to myself, I can't write a, I just can't write a book of essays right now. I also didn't, um, I kind of stopped, although I love essays, I stopped trusting like, the, the kind of patness and finality that a lot of essays have, you know, um, I, I just, that sense of like, it's gotta like end, you gotta, it's, you gotta have your thumb on it and you can't, you can't leave it hanging. Right. Exactly. And, and nothing in my life really felt like it was going. <laughs> that way. Yeah. So, um, I thought, okay, I, you know, I want to make this read as closely as possible to a novel. Um, and so what I did was I took, a bunch of existing essays and um, I set them out uh, if, if you will on a, on a long table. And then I began to write a narrative through those. They all have names. Like, did you have titles? Yeah, they had titles. Some of, some of them were published. Some of them had been published. Okay. Um, and, um, and I needed the journals to basically work my way back through them you know yeah and sometimes there would um so the journals were at best like sketches you know scene mm -hmm. sketches mm -hmm. and then i would um draw out a scene you know among them like there might be something i'm not sure how well you remember from um mm, pretty early in the book but um like there's that thanksgiving scene mm -hmm. uh, you know and um there might be a scene or there, there might be a note in my journal that just says something like um, Luca gumming the elk ivory that Lori had taken off of her, um, you know, off her necklace for him to use as a pacifier mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. That's all really that the, the journal might say wow. um, that would reveal to me that a scene needed to be constructed around that and then but that's all um, you needed that was the match that's all i needed but yeah. then of course you know um then the work begins because to get <laughs> to that scene i have to create that i have to create that character Lori. Mm -hmm. um i have to create that character spurgeon um i have to call Lori on the phone and say hey are you okay Bob? if i <laughs> you know if i write this um and um and so on and so forth so um, 
in a sense, like those, those journal entries were, I think you used it. Like they were just um, little sparks um, thrown on the, um, the kind of Tinder um, of a chapter or a scene. And then, and then um, I had to feed them with, with character and story. So um, it was, it's fun to look back on. It was a long process though. Cause they went back what? 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's beautiful that just the smallest of noticing is an entire galaxy of things at play, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe, maybe there's, there's another invitation that the book gives us is the smallest of noticing um, really is the, is, is the doorway into memory and into, mm-hmm. into recalling, uh, recognizing what was, what was happening there all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had always dreamed, I think of, um, being able to write a book about, um, to write a book that was in essence, like, um, an evocation of the Sheslon Milos line. Wonder kept seizing me and I recall only wonder, you know, um, that's how I felt when, um, when we were, you know, when, when you, when you, when you have a, a new child in your life, like, yeah. isn't that, um, of course, I think I do a fair job of, of portraying the dread and the, um, the dailiness that comes with that as well. But, um, I had always dreamed of kind of, um, uh, creating a narrative around it because I didn't, I, I, I didn't, um, I hadn't seen one really particularly hadn't seen a Western, you know, yes. um, that, that, that attended to that kind of stuff. Um, and, but in many ways, as I aged, um, maybe I lost faith in that worldview hmm. a little bit. And it took me returning, returning to those. Um, that's speaking of speaking of children. That's my son um, knocking on the door there. Um, it took me returning to those entries to remind myself of like how deeply I believed in that, right? And. But also the distance that I had from the experience, that 15 years, 10 years, whatever it was, coupled with a kind of, um, you know, cynicism mm-hmm. uh, that the world feeds, spoon feeds us, that gave me just, that gave the um, the kind of lens just enough tension, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um to go on um there was a line there's a line from keats um he's writing to his his friend severn um and uh he says i feel um uh, i feel the horrible want of some faith some hope something to rest on now there must be such a book um and um i always i i kept that quote actually you know in in a journal somewhere i probably taped it up on my desk too like um the you know, this um 
this notion that um, if we pay enough attention to the world, if we pay enough attention to our children and their wonder at it, they they can, you know, meaningfully um, and and quite deeply um, rescue us from ourselves. I guess is what I'd say. Being um, totally honest. Well said, a hundred percent. And you know, one thing that I've been personally navigating is the detachment from expectations of how I think things should be or were supposed to be. Um, has the river taught you how to let go of expectations? Right? Like we can go, we can plan stuff. We can want it to go a certain way, but like, do you think the river has helped you get in on the joke that, reality is happening for you that uh whatever's coming your way is concocted for your transformation and the more we can detach from the illusion of expectations or whatever narrative we lay over those there enters in the surprise and delight of our lives yeah that's it anytime it's funny um the more knowledge that i get about a stretch of river um the less prepared I feel to fish it and guide it because I know because I'm smart enough to know that all that does is like create expectations, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, it's like, like if you were coming fishing, I'd be like, man, I can't wait to take Ashton fishing. Like uh, we've been talking about this for years and let's say I go out the day before you get here. And, and um, I just have this banger of a day with, with a couple folks and um I actually would dread that because you've got expectation over it. Exactly. I got expectations about it. I, and I, I know where this fish was. Yeah. I know where these fish were yesterday. I know what they were eating, you know, why aren't they doing it again? You know? And so, yeah. Um, I think it's, um, Suzuki and Zen mind beginners mind. He says, um, it's the readiness of mind that is wisdom, mm. you know? Mm. Yep. And, yep. um, yeah, I think the river teaches us that. Um, it humbles us into that. Yeah, uh, yeah into that knowledge. Like you, um, you lose, you lose that capacity, the availability to mm. to to be surprised and delighted when you've already said, "Hey, this is how this thing's gonna go." And I I, I feel like you shed that in the book. Like a lot of the book is that shedding of that. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um, I, there's a, it's not a chapter. It's, it's actually a section title, I think in body of water called beginner's mind, you know, um, which comes off of that line in the beginner's mind. Um, like the possibilities are limitless in the experts hmm. few. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, this, it's such a, it's, um, it's such a paradox, right? The more, the more we know, um, yeah. less prepared we are um to experience reality in a way um yeah i think um yeah i think that's a fair way to put it uh, one the one thing i will say about guiding um is that i finally started to see some connection between guiding and writing um i had 
I'd always seen the guide as kind of a communicator, right? And so, you know, clarity and exactness, um, communication, patient, patient, patience. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about. I don't know if I have that anymore. Um, Terribly but, patient. I I don't know if you can be a fly fishing guy without mad mad patience. Yes, you can, but but it, it it's funny how it wanes over the course of a season. Um, you know, <laughs> it I starts out good in like, June. Oh yeah, in August I just tell people like, look, um, just so you know, if I tell you to throw a reach cast down this bank. Um, I'm only telling you that for the first time, but I've told like 48 people that in a row. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you don't do it and I don't react um, patiently, it's not because of you. It's because I've, you know, I've, I've told 48 people. Right. Um, but what I was saying about guiding is that um, when you first start out guiding, you have a couple people in the boat and they throw their casts toward the bank and you think to yourself, I hope a fish bites. Right. Um, the more you guide, the more you understand that each cast, if made in the prop at the proper angle with the right imitation on the end of it, steered correctly by, a skilled oars person, each cast can yield a fish. The river has that much, you know, to give us. Um, if it's, if it's mine, if each cast is kind of mined properly, you know, and in this, in a sense, like as an editor and as a, as a reader of my own work and then a reviser, I came over time to kind of demand the same of my sentences, you know, like each, each sentence, if um, um, if worked at, can lead to um, a truth, and it can get a that, rise. It can get a rise exactly, and, and that truth can um, can lead to another, and those truths can accrue and lead to a larger truth, and um, and into you know an evocation of um, of this existence, and so um, in that sense, like. I don't know. You asked a question about guiding and I got thinking about how maybe um, you evolve as a writer the same way you evolve as a guide. Like um, there's a sense early on, like, I just hope we get lucky. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I just hope we get lucky. But in the end you realize like, no, um, it's just a massive amount of work. Mm. Um, it's learning how and, to see. And learning how to see and an insistence on like looking harder, like looking for that seam, looking for that um, underwater um, rock that's causing the boil, like, and, and processing where that fish is likely um, holding above it because um, there's food coming down uh, and he's out in a feeding lie or below it because it's, um, it's hot out and he doesn't want to waste energy in the current, you know, whatever those um, calculations that are going through your head might be. Um, but anyway, I have finally come to see some, some similarities between the two crafts. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's that, again, that's that integration, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
that happens over time. So, um, themes. Like what, if you could say, like some themes that I wrote down, which kind of is, is all of your work, but like the, the lostness, but mystery, uncertainty, and yet the joy of that, along with the pain, the wonder, the awe. Um, was there a, on, on this side of, right, like you've been on a book tour, like on this side of it, have you been able to go, oh yeah, I was wrestling with this theme. And maybe it is like seeing through the eyes of our children. Maybe it is time. Like, do you have a, if you could say a theme or two or none at all? Yeah. I mean, strangely enough, I try to stay as far away from any knowledge of those themes as possible. I know they exist and I know that they, um, you don't want to be cornered by them. No. Um, usually when I start to kind of, um, when I can smell them, you know, mm -hmm. I stop. Um, um, the writer Rick Bass and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, I'm going to throw a metaphor out there and it might be a shaky one, but have you ever watched like a pointing dog work? hundred percent. Right. So, you know, when, a, when my dog Zeke is working a covey of Huns, um, he, he gets a whiff of them, you know, his nose goes up, he's two, 200 yards out and he gets a little whiff of them. He does that a couple of times enough for me to go, Oh yeah, here we go. You know, and then he works them back and forth, back and forth, and he closes in and his slide st strides kind of elasticize and he begins to like close ground. But then there's then he hits that that magical spot, right? I don't know what it is. It's different on every day for every covey. It's sometimes it's you know 20 feet away, sometimes it's 20 yards, but he knows if he breaks that. In, you know invisible plane those birds are gonna bust and for me a lot of times with like with theme um i feel like um i want that to be i want those themes to be so deep um elusive under so elusive um existing in the subconscious of the reader you yeah. know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's because i think that's you know how they hit us um that's how prose hits us most deeply, you know, um, at least narrative nonfiction prose. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, theme, I mean, all those themes that you, that you referenced for sure, a hundred percent, they're there. Um, but for me, when I'm, when I'm thinking about them, um, hmm. I'm thinking about as soon as I, as soon as I get close to them and I feel like I'm going to bust them, I just like turn and go in the other direction. Um, but Probably primarily, um, I mean, time with a capital T mm -hmm. was is really what I wanted to to talk about in this book. Um, and that's you know we see it at the end. At the end, um, toward the end of the book, I think I give full vent to that um, that theme of time, yeah. if you will. Um, and um, beautiful metaphor, by the way. 
of the pointing dog. I love that. Oh man. I love those dogs. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so what's currently keeping you curious? Well, my bird dog. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Zeke. Yes. Um, currently keeping, keeping us curious. Um, well, I mean, winter's here and, um, and, and I'm starting to sink back into some work that I started last year. Um, I'm a rabid bird hunter this time of year. Anytime I can slip away Pheasant, for a day. What are you guys hunting right now? Pheasant, um, Hungarian partridge are probably yeah. my favorite because they're, um, they're uh, a fair playing covey bird, you know, um, not like the, the, the elusive rooster, <laughs> you know, which, which as my friends would say, kind of ruin, ruin a bird dog. Huh. But, um, yeah, I'm really been intrigued by this theme, um, theme. There you go. Um, uh, of silence recently. Um, and a lot of the hunting I've been doing this fall has been solo with my dog. And we, um, we're in some really quiet country. Hmm. Um, and we're, we're covering a lot of ground, a, a lot of elevation. Um, uh, there was one thing my daughter said to me, Lily, um, she said years ago, um, dad, she's a, she's a math, She's actually a math person, which makes me wonder how she became a uh, part of our family. But um, she said, dad, do you think I have more steps or words? And I said, what do you mean, babe? And she said, do you think I've taken more steps than words that I've spoken? Hmm. And it, it kind of blew my mind. And I thought, oh my God, what a cool project this would be like once um you know even once a week um in the fall to just try to take more steps hmm. than words spoken and so yeah a lot of times i've been i've been up to that on on my hunts um with zeke where i i just like i shut my phone off and um we go and we we, we get on foot um and I like that you you brought up Merton and um I read somewhere recently he's no he's referencing one of the desert monks and he says the monk put a stone in his mouth to try to teach himself silence for 3 3 years he put a stone in his mouth um so yeah I mean I'm I'm kind of that's the great um, teacher silence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if if we will allow it Yes. And, and, um, and so many like, um, beautiful, um, uh, you know, references it references to it in, um, in wisdom literature. Like, I, I'm not sure who it is. I think it's mother Teresa said, um, God is a friend of silences, you know, mm -hmm. um, silence is the language of God. I think. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe uh, that's, Meister Saint Therese. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, I'm with you. I'm following you. And it's I, I think you can spot this in someone from a long ways away when they when they emerge from mm -hmm. silence. They they are a um a beautiful presence, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very little to offend them. Uh, keenly aware of their surroundings, dialed into the present moment. Um, there yes. is there, it, it. It's that is for sure a discipline. That it is. It's we, actually. Um, yeah, there's an old book. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, okay. Can't remember who it's by, but it's you know um, whatever. It's just it's one of those disciplines. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, what else? Um, oh, I was uh, I was in Seattle for a reading last or, or a couple days ago Monday, and um, I got Mary a, a cashmere sweater that was. Um, maybe the first gift I've ever, a first clothing gift I've ever gotten her in 20 some wonderful years of marriage that she wasn't like, mm, I don't need this. You know, like she's very, <laughs> she's a very practical person. Like, um, and her, her, and she's very frugal. And, and usually her reaction is, mm, I can do without it. Thanks, babe. But, it's it's all good, you know, but she put this cashmere sweater on and she was like, I'm so happy. Thank you. So um anyway, uh, you know, yeah. Um, so you made to, you made that happen. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The spirit, yeah, the yeah. spirit of the disciplines, Dallas Willard. It's sitting above me. I'm looking at it right here. Okay, yeah, that's it, it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally it. Um, so uh yeah, so as not to sound um too um too much like a faux monk. Uh, yeah, the, the cashmere. Um, I mean, I love this time of year just eating, um, eating game, yeah. game bird. Um, our friends are back from Alaska with huge freezers full of black cod and halibut and salmon. Um, we gonna get a buddy, Dombrowski cookbook one day? Is that gonna happen? I, I'm hoping, Let's you know, go. I was kind of hoping that, like, um, yeah, that that would come out of this some somehow, maybe like even a little limited edition one. Um, but uh, yes, every all oh you know this is the best time of year to be um, to be friends of elk hunters because they're all they've all just shot their elk, you know, and they um, more interested in the mount than the meat. Yeah, well, no, they're they've they're they feeling like they have to offload oh yeah 20 the last elk because and and you know they feel guilty about it. So they're just here, let me unload some more elk on you. Um or they're even better like I have a, my buddy Dan is um he's he's an incredibly effective elk hunter and he makes this um these different sausages out of the elk. Um and he just one of the best ones he makes is this merguez sausage um and uh so you know you make like like um tacos out of it or euros out of it people are always just you know there's like my friend noah just dropped off a mallard duck i'll probably make a um like just cook that rare in a cast iron skillet and then put a huckleberry reduction over it um (laughs) so food food interests me this time of year just a little huckleberry reduction up here in Missoula. It's just a, it's a, it's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday night. We're good. Yeah, that's right. I have to honor, honor the food. Yes, um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You are a man of the West and it has, uh, it has uh, shifted and shaped you and the way you have gifted it to us of what you've seen is, is um, 
such a gift, my friend. Super grateful for that. And um, and truly, I, I I'm I'm doing my best to try to not label this book because that's not helpful. It 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 needs to be read and it will read you. And my senses are. Um, I think you'll you'll get in on that joke of the smaller your world, the bigger your life. Um, and I think that's the biggest and best honor that I could give you in this work that you've put into the world. Thanks so much, man. Um, I really love talking with you. It's inspiring. So I appreciate the time. We need to do it more often. We we need to we need to we need to set these dates. Summer's tough for you. Summer's real tough for you. Um, yeah, we should like read. Um, we should each like read a a book. Oh, like over the course of a month or something, yes. and then just say, oh, we're gonna come talk about it. See what see what sticks on the wall. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Well, you just we're, we're, that's a deal. Consider it done okay. with a with some Huckleberry reduction. Sounds perfect. Uh, are you um, okay? I got a challenge for you. Are you an Annie Dillard fan? Yes. Oh yeah, I got some Annie Dillard in here. All right. Um, do you have Holy the Firm? Mm. that was over there i don't have that no it's it's a really slim one it's it's only 76 pages long okay um i throw it out there because i've read it a couple of times but it's a completely befuddling um book to me i mean i love it i absolutely adore it and at the the same time holy the firm okay h-o-l-y the firm um and it's 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 a very um you know, she has such a severe vision, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like she's almost, I would say she's almost like Cormac McCarthy-esque in that sense of severity of vision where you're just like, like I, I tr- completely trust her as a writer um, and a thinker and a philosopher. But I, I just, I can't go there. Do you know what I mean? Because it would. This is coming it, from Chris Dombrowski, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, let's read it. We let's should both it. read it. And then, um, and then we'll talk about it. And um, God, it's a good one. It's a, it's a really, really good book. I think um, it's one of her best books. Um, let me see if I can't. The last one I read was The Abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh. Yeah, let's do it, man. I'm in. Okay, awesome. We'll set. Right. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll set a date. Um, brother Chris Dombrowski, slowly but surely becoming one of our village elders here at the Good True and Beautiful Podcast. The uh, that village is in trouble if that's the case. The village is in trouble. That's all right. We've got Matt Fresh Mallard with Huckleberry Reduction, and everybody's happy. Um, thank you, my friend. Grace and peace from Texas. And I, uh, it's happening. I don't know when it's happening, but I'm coming your way soon. Okay, great. Give your best to my, give my best to your family. Same, same to you, my friend. Same to you. Cheers. <laughs>